Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. We are now two weeks away from the NFL draft. We're taping this on a Thursday. And the Giants pick 6th and 17th. That number 6 pick in particular is very intriguing. And I listed some scenarios in an article I posted earlier this week of the most likely players for the Giants to select with that first pick. Now, it started, my most likely were Ed Oliver, the Houston defensive lineman, and Montez Sweat, the outside linebacker defensive end from Mississippi State. And I'll get to why those two players in particular in a little bit. And we're also going to touch on in this episode uh, the re-signing of a key Giants player, wide receiver Sterling Shepard. Now, I will explain why I think Shepard in particular was a good move for the Giants and why it makes a lot of sense and it's a step in the right direction because finally, finally, you say, okay, this makes sense. You're getting ahead of things before they're going to end up like if Sterling Shepard, if he had, if his numbers spiked this year or if his number, even if his numbers stay the same, he hits the open market, it's going to be costly for the Giants then to be able to retain him or even if like they try and resign him right before he hits the open market. If, if you're right on the verge of hitting the open market, you want to do it. Right? Because your value is going to be highest if other teams are able to bid on you. So by getting ahead of it, the Giants are being proactive here. And uh, that's part of the reason why I like this move. So I'll explain that a little more later on in this episode. But this is going to be mostly a draft-heavy episode. Okay, We're going to talk about the number 6 overall pick. Uh, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks. I'll detail what I think the Giants' preference on quarterbacks is later in this show. We're going to talk to Jim Nagy who's the executive director of the Senior Bowl also. He's working for ESPN during the draft as an NFL draft analyst. So he knows way more about player the players in this draft in, in terms of evaluation-wise than I do. So he's going to provide some unique insight on that and give his take on the quarterbacks as well. I think you'll find it interesting. Now, I always say this about the draft, right? And really, in general, about evaluations. I'm not this huge X's and O's guys. I'm not a... a, a Paid talent evaluator, you know, as, as a as scout or whatever some of these people are. I'm a person who gets information, right? That's part of my job. My job is to get information. So I'm only as good as the people who I ask their opinions, the evaluators I ask opinions about from. And I ask a bunch of people, and I, I put them all together, and I trust some some people more than others. And look, everybody hits on some, and everyone misses on some. You just know by talking to people over the years – which people have a better track record. So I keep that in my own head of who I talk to, who I believe maybe more so than who I, other people who I take with a grain of salt. So let me explain to you real quick, okay, why and how I got to Ed Oliver and Montez Sweat as the most likely options, the favorites for the Giants with the number six overall pick, okay? I'm basing this first on the fact that the Giants are big, and they've said this a couple times, into not reaching for a quarterback and making sure the grades on the players and the values of the player align with where they are on the board and where they're picking. Meaning if they have their first quarterback is ranked 14th, they're not going to pass on a top five guy, even if it's a quarterback. Now, to me, this doesn't make much sense. I think you have to make exception for quarterback because it's such an important position. Right? It's the most important position on a football team, the most important position on the field. 
So if your quarterback, let's say it's a 12th-ranked quarterback, like if you have a very good quarterback, right, if you have a guy who you think could be a franchise quarterback, a very good quarterback, and you have a guy you think could be a great running back, to me, you'd want to take that very good quarterback as long as you think you can win and build a team around that guy. So to me, like waiting till 17 for your quarterback doesn't make much sense, but this seems to be the way the Giants are going to approach this draft, and it's likely headed towards, okay, the top of the draft is top-heavy on grades on defensive players. So that's why I get to the point, okay, here's the defensive options, and I think the most likely are Ed Oliver and Montez Sweat. Why? Because, first of all, the three guys I think they'd run to the podium for, Josh Allen, edge rusher from Kentucky, Quinn and Williams, interior lineman from Alabama, and Nick Bosa, edge rusher from Ohio State. The three guys I think the Giants would run to the podium for, I think they're going to go in the top five picks. I really don't see any of those three guys slipping. I'm trying to come up with scenarios, and it's really hard. And I talk to people more and more. There's people who like, and I know people, there's some that assume that Nick Bosa is going to be the first player taken, and maybe he is. Maybe that's who the 49ers like, number two. If if I'm, I'm talking first player other than quarterback, because it appears that Kyler Murray's going number one overall to the Arizona Cardinals. That's what it, if you listen to people, that's what it seems like. So, there's people that like Quinn and Williams and Josh Allen over Nick Bosa. I mean, I've spoken to people that flat out think that. I've spoken to someone who thinks Josh Allen is the best defensive player in this draft. I know there's people out there that think Quinn and Williams is the best defensive player in this draft. So it's hard for me to see any of those three guys dropping down. But if they do, I expect the Giants to run up to that podium. Real quick, make that pick. Boom, boom, done. Now, if they're not on the board, and I also think... Devin White, the linebacker from LSU, and this is why I have him in the outsider category. He's likely to go in that top five also. I mean, the Bucks. It, it's hard for me to envision. I mean, the, you hear that the Bucks really like him, and it makes perfect sense for them. So Devin White making it to the Giants also probably not likely. Now, more likely than any of the first three guys I named, but still, I'd say probably a less than 50% chance that Devin White is there at six. So that's why I have Ed Oliver and Montez Sweat as the two most likely guys. And I've been going back and forth, and i sort of been on Ed Oliver for a little bit here, and I'm going to stick with that for now. Now I'm going to make a lot of calls, a lot more calls. I'll talk to a lot more people over the next week, and I'll have my most likely Giants draft pick for six and 17. It's an exercise I do every year. And I've had some good years and some other years where I completely whiffed Evan Ingram here. Uh, the Eli Apple year was uh, out of left field in regards to the fact that the, the guys they wanted went right before them. So there's been some good, some bad, but mostly, you know, you could target approximately the players are going to be in the mix. Now, the later that it goes in the round, like Evan Ingram, I believe, was 21, it, that was much harder. That Those years are much harder. So the 17th pick is going to be much more difficult than the 6th pick. But with the 6th pick, I like Montez Sweat, and I'm going back and forth, and Montez Sweat fits more of the mold, the Giants, uh, production, uh, athletic traits, uh, more of a, just a natural pass rusher, a huge upside. Like, I could see that happening, but I'm also thinking that things have changed a little bit. This isn't the Giants of the old, of old. 
that they're a little more likely to be open towards the smaller shoot the gap kind of guy that Ed Oliver might be, especially in James Betcher's defense. So I'm going with Ed Oliver for now. That's not my final pick yet. We'll see. So, uh, tune in next week. And then other guys on the outside, I have Rashawn Gary. Uh, I think he'd be in the conversation. It's hard for me to see the Giants when this is a risk evaluation exercise saying, oh, that's our guy. I mean, there's just things about Rashawn Gary that make me wonder of whether the Giants would go in that direction, such as uh, his production doesn't always match his elite traits. Uh, his forming his own sports agency. These kind of things just seem like they would, wouldn't totally sit well with the Giants and their philosophy and regime. So I think he's on the outside. Devin White, I explained why he's on the outside. Another player I put on the outside, most people probably don't even think about him, is Cleland Farrell. He's the other defensive lineman from Clemson. I just think he's being overlooked by people, and some people I've talked to within the league are higher on him than pe- than sort of the, the draft nicks and prognosticators. And just he has that sneaky production, right? He has that production. He, he He's just a solid player, knows how to play. Produced at a high level. And I think teams are probably higher on him than media types. So he's just a player I would keep an eye on on the outside. I think six still might be too high for him. But he's just someone I want to keep an eye on. uh, Whether it's at six or maybe even 17 later on. And Brian Burns is a player I I said more likely at 17. I just think he's a little one-dimensional for the Giants to be wanting to select at six. I know he's... He has some great uh, pass-rushing traits, but he's really light, not much against the run, pretty one-dimensional, maybe even more towards like a a Chris Clemens type where I don't know if you remember Chris Clemens, but he was a guy He eventually played for Seattle. I think he was with the Eagles for a little bit too. Uh, And he's a guy who was just – he was more just like a permanent situational pass rusher. Now maybe Burns can develop into more than that, but right now I almost see him in that mold. Outside linebacker, fast – can bend, get around the edge, and do some things as a, just strictly as a pass rusher. And I think that's what it would be early in his career, is he'd be just a, a situational pass rusher and maybe could develop into more than that. Devin Bush, Greedy Williams, Christian Wilkins, other guys I would say more likely at 17 if they're available. Now, here's the thing with pick number 17. We'll get into the quarterback talk more later, and uh, but in specifics in regards to the quarterbacks. But let me say this about pick 17. I've been thinking about this a little bit. If the Giants take a defensive player at six, and then they're sitting there and they're looking, okay, Pitt's our turn at pick 17, and the quarterback they want is not on the board, they have to, at that point, start to shift philosophy and say, if we're not getting our quarterback this year, we have to start looking to gain assets towards next year. Maybe move down some in the first round. Get to the, I'm making up a number. Let's say 24. The 24th pick wants to move up. They want to move up with the Giants. And Giants can get a future pick for next year for moving down seven slots, 10 slots, 12 slots, whatever it is. Maybe pick up a second rounder for next year. Whatever, whatever it is at any point with, with pick 17 or even 37 is they have to start collecting assets towards next year because if not getting their quarterback this year, they might need them next year. You want to have as much draft capital as possible in the future if you don't have your quarterback and you need to get it next year. Because what if they win seven games and have a a middle of the first round pick? So it's important. The Giants have 12 picks right now. If they make pick six and they get a defensive player, they have 11 picks left. 
you got to turn some of those into future draft capital. And I think that's going to be very important here. Another thing about the quarterbacks is no mid-round quarterbacks. They cannot, absolutely cannot do that. They've done it two years in a row. Davis Webb in the third round two years ago. Kylo Letter in the fourth round. They can't keep using mid-round picks. Because you got to think, if, if you're at 50-50 at best in the first round to hit on quarterbacks, although it's been a little higher in recent years, the, the odds drop dramatically each round. So when you're talking about second, third, and fourth round, there's most likely the chances that their Pro Bowl caliber, Super Bowl winning caliber quarterbacks are, let's say, combined in the second, third, and fourth round, 15%. That's an 85% chance they're either a backup quarterback or not, not even an NFL caliber quarterback. You can't keep taking those chances on the most important position and wasting picks where you should be getting useful players, getting players that should be almost immediate contributors. You can't keep drafting. So I've heard some people say to me, you know, I, maybe they'd like one of these guys, these second-tier guys, third-tier guys in the mid-rounds. The Giants cannot go that direction this year. They're in a spot where they cannot do that. I'm sorry. Absolutely not. All right? Now... As for the Sterling Shepard signing, happened on Wednesday. I like it, okay, for two for a couple reasons. Number one, Sterling Shepard is a little bit more than just a slot receiver. So while he did receive more than the slot receivers this year, the slot receiver market was about nine ten million. He topped ten million, just barely, but top ten million. Okay, top their guarantees. We're talking uh, Jamison Crowder. And Adam Humphreys. But Shepard does a little more. 444 of his yards this season, which is more than he had at a slot, were from the outside. So he could do more. He's going to be asked to do more because his role is going to be bigger. So there's a possibility he becomes even better. Okay? And you have to remember this about re-signing guys. And this is why it's beneficial to re-sign them before they hit free agency. Because it's better value. The cap has been rising about 8% every year. So $10 million this year, when the cap rises next year, isn't going to be $10 million anymore. That $10, that $10 million is going to be worth $11 million. You know, So if he hit the free agent market next year, he'd probably be in the 11 or $12 million range. And that's with having the same stats and production that he's had the past few years. But you'd think that production should even go up. Sterling Shepard's a good player. A good player. He could do a little bit of everything. You know, he, he can, he can play out of the slot. He could play out of the outside. He's a good blocker. Just a solid player. Does it all. Pretty good. His routes are solid. He's tough. He can make catches under pressure. So, you like what you see with him. Now, it was a surprise, this move, and I'll give you this, I'll, I'll uh, Morph this into a little Jordan on a beat where I'll tell you what it's like to sort of be like a, be a reporter and to cover the Giants. And the Giants signed Golden Tate, who some people and most people, including myself, think there's, it's a little redundancy between Tate and Sterling Shepard. They're a little similar. Both have derived in the past from that slot position. So they'll both be moving around. But anyway, there was a thought around the league that when they signed Tate, that, that might, they might be open to moving Sterling Shepard. And it's something we heard. There have been rumblings. Uh, there have been, you even heard, uh, there was a, it wasn't really a report, but it was sort of suggested by Mike Reese, our, our Patriots reporter, that the Patriots could be interested. And we heard rumblings, and I heard rumblings that teams were interested in him as well. And somebody said, well, why didn't you report that? And uh, this was after they signed him. 
and I said, I didn't respond, but I, what I would say to that is you hear these things and until I really corroborate it, you know, we, we trust me, we made a lot of calls. We reached, we reached out to a bunch of people, people with different teams said, keep your ears open. Let me hear if you hear, let me hear if you know anything, if they are shopping him. And we didn't find definitively that the Giants were shopping him around. Now, apparently the Patriots did call and there were some teams that did call the Giants just to see. But the Giants apparently viewed Sterling Shepard as a building block, right? And so he's going to be part of their future. A move I like. At least you know now kind of where they're heading in regards to the offense. Sterling Shepard is going to be a pillar. He He's going to be one of the guys, main guys, along with Saquon Barkley, that the Giants are going to build this future offense around, eventually with that next quarterback. Golden Tate will be here a couple of years at least. And this will be the centerpiece of the Giants' office with Evan Ingram. So that's my take on Sterling Shepard. But let's get back to the draft. And with that, on to the next one. Let's bring in Jim Nagy here, one of our, our newest ESPN draft experts. Uh, before that, he was running the Senior Bowl, which is an interesting uh, job when you're looking at the Giants in particular because the Giants already had the two previous Senior Bowl uh, MVPs, both quarterbacks, Kyla Led and Davis Webb, on their roster. And now there's a potential for there to be a third Right this year was Daniel Jones, so Jim, I was wondering, how do you sort of, what do you sort of make of that? That the Giants, this could be three years in a row that they go with a Senior Bowl MVP as as a quarterback selection. Yeah, well, Jordan, thanks for having me on. I will clarify one thing: I am still the executive director of the Senior Bowl. That's my the recent Senior Bowl. That's my that's my primary job. Uh, this ESPN uh, position is is through the draft. Um, so, so I'm still I'm still fully employed at the Senior Bowl and and, and uh, moving full speed ahead with that gig as well. But uh, yeah, to your question, uh, yeah, that's an interesting. I never thought about that. You know, this was my first year um, running things down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. So um, yeah, of course I knew Davis Webb and, and Laletta were were up there. I didn't know they were the MVPs. And then yeah, so Daniel won the MVP this year, and um, I think they'll you know Drew Mix. Uh, Drew Locke will be in the mix for him at six if they wanted to go quarterback at six. So, um, yeah, that's just kind of a that's that's a strange coincidence that they could have three of them. You were you were talking before, and sorry about that about the uh, about the position. I, I actually didn't know that. I don't know why I said, <laughs> I don't know why I put that in the past. But uh, you're doing such a good job at ESPN that I wanted to make you full time already. I, I think I think that was it. <laughs> but, but I appreciate it. So. I, you were on NFL Live today. Today is Thursday that we're taping this. And you said if the Giants draft a quarterback, you think they need to do it at six. And I, I'm sort of with you on this one. I don't understand the the concept if you're going to draft a quarterback, why you would sort of wait until 17. I was just I was just wondering if if you were if you know you've seen a lot of these guys, you've scouted a lot of these guys. So if you were at six, which quarterback would you go with? We're, we're going to assume that Kyler Murray is the is already off the board because everything sounds like he's going number one. Yeah, I I don't see the need to wait because all you're doing is you're rolling the dice at that point. You know, if if you really like one, I mean, if you if you identify one of these guys through the process as a franchise quarterback, a guy that you can consistently compete for championships with, and you know that's the goal of of every 
personnel department is finding that guy. If you think, you know, one of the guys in this year's draft is that guy, well, then go get him at six and, you know, circle back at 17 and later to, to address your, your front four needs. And, and again, so if you sit there at 17, I mean, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Haskins, they all could be gone by then. So I think right. if they do it, um, they should just take him at six. And it's such a deep defensive line class. I mean, this is, this is probably the best deepest defensive line class in the last 20 years. So there's going to be starter-level players for, for the Giants to get if they scout them right, you know, into the third and fourth round. You're going to be able to upgrade your, your front seven. So, wow. Yeah, that um, is deep. That's the direction I would go if I were them. What, what Which quarterback do you favor? Like, I mean, you, you've looked at these guys. You've studied them. Uh, we're talking Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins type guys. What, what have you seen from these guys? And which, how, how would you sort of put those three guys in order? Yeah, you know, I would go Locke first myself. I just, you know, I really like the athlete. Uh, you know, guy was a, had, had, you know, BCS basketball offers to Oklahoma and Missouri and, and Wichita State coming out of high school. So he's a, he's a, he's a good athlete. He's got a ton of arm talent. He showed that you at know, the combine for sure. Yeah, he showed it at the Senior Bowl. I mean, he, he made a throw, roll into his right in the Senior Bowl game where he basically underhanded the ball. It was very Mahomes-like. I mean, he's the guy that I can – I'm not saying he's going to be the next NFL MVP, but right. some of the throws he makes and the different arm angles, are. he does a lot of the same stuff Patrick does. Um, and I, I love his uh, – he's got some – you know, he's got a confidence about him. I was at the South Carolina game this year, and I always like going really early – um, to see the quarterbacks out and how they interact with their teammates. And, you know, I think all that basketball background, like he's just got a really cool way with his, with his teammates. And, uh, you know, being around at the Senior Bowl, he's got a ton of confidence. So I like Drew Locke quite a bit. Um, you know, Daniel Jones is a guy that I've got to know really well through this process. I met him last year at the at the Manning Academy. I met, met Drew down there as well. But I met, uh, met Daniel at the Manning Passing Camp and uh, – you know, he was a guy that was – we can bring juniors to the Senior Bowl now if they've graduated by December. So when I spoke to Daniel um, last summer about that, he was going to be three credits short. And I told him, hey, go back. And, you know, I'm not trying to influence your decision to come out, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying if you do decide to come out next year, you know, go back and take one extra class and at least give yourself that option of, of coming down and playing in the Senior Bowl. And to his credit, he did it. So – you know, and he's been being trained through this whole draft process by a guy named David Morris, a friend of mine in Mobile, Alabama, who was Eli's backup yep. at uh, Ole Miss. And they're, and they're really close. And, you know, David was in Eli's wedding, and so they're close. And um, So I've gotten to know Daniel, and he's, he's super smart. Uh, I think he was being undervalued um, in the media through this process until recently. I've really tried to, I've really tried to uh, you know, trumpet him over the last couple weeks because he's really smart, he's got great size, um, he's a really underrated athlete. You know, he ran four sixes at, you know, 6'5", 230 pounds. Um, he doesn't have the arm that, that Drew Locke does or Haskins does, but um, it's plenty good enough. And he's accurate, and I just like the fact that, you know, he made, that, he makes, he made those people around him better at Duke. Um, you know, he wasn't playing with any guys that are going to be drafted in the NFL. Skilled players, offensive line, nothing. He gets hit a bunch. So that's what the NFL is. You know, you, you evaluate some of these college kids, and they sit back there and they play pitch and catch, and, you know, that's just not what the NFL is all about. The NFL is about, you know, getting hit and throwing under duress and being moved off the spot. 
And he's just done a lot of that. And, uh, you know, he's accurate in those situations. So um, I do li- I like Daniel quite a bit. And then, uh, you know, Haskins is another guy really talented. He's got size and he's got a really live arm. Um, you know, just a smaller sample size. So what he did this year at Ohio State, he did some good things. But uh, it's just it, you, you don't see everything you want to see as an evaluator. So, again, like a lot of those underdressed plays, you don't see a lot of that. Um, and every time he took the field, he was lining up with, you know, three or four NFL receivers, yep. um, two NFL running backs, a, a great offensive line. So, again, you, you don't want to ding a guy for that, but you have to factor that in. You have to. If you don't as an evaluator, you're making a mistake. So it sounds so, almost like – um, so it sounds almost like – the fact that Haskins didn't face a lot of pressure and wasn't sitting back there and working under adversity is might work against him in this process. Am, am I taking that correctly? In my mind, yeah. I mean, I'm only speaking for myself. Right, um, right. But, yeah, I think when you're working for an NFL team, you can make cut-ups of all different situations in games. And, and to me, like, you just don't play from a clean pocket in the NFL very often. So, um you know, again, that's that's not Dwayne's fault. You know, he, he it is what it is. Same thing with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray sits back behind the best offensive line in college football right. and just, you know, bounces on the ball to his feet and makes, you know, throws to wide open receivers in that in the Big Twelve, you know. So you just when you evaluate the quarterback position, even more so than any other position, you have to evaluate everything going around them. So I think all four of those guys that are being talked about in the first round should go in the first round. I think that um, they are all potential starters in the league, whereas there's been a lot of years when I've been scouting where, I mean, you know, again, I've missed on players too, so I'm not trying to, you know, sound right. like a know-it-all or anything. But Everybody there's, misses there's been on years players. Where Absolutely. No, I mean, I mean, if you've scouted players, you've missed out a bunch too, so if you've done it for any length of time. so. But there's been years where quarterbacks have been in the mock first rounds and all that stuff when I've been working for teams that I've had fourth and fifth round grades on. So there's not these, there's not a case of that this year. Um, so I think you know I think all these guys are, are really belong in the conversation. What do you make of the idea that Drew Lock? I mean, you you like Drew Lock? You said he would be kind of your number one guy here. What what do you what do you make of the yep. idea that his he was sort of too inconsistent, too up and down the last few years at, at Missouri? I think it's a little harsh. I mean, there is some inconsistency in his play, but I'll say this. As a junior, the guy threw for 44 touchdowns in the SEC um, <laughs> with a team very much like Daniel Jones. Now, Drew Locke wasn't playing with a lot, <laughs> very many NFL people either. He had one NFL receiver on that team, Emmanuel Hall, this year, who missed a ton of time due to injury. Yep. Um, I think that you know some people have been knocking Drew for um, – you know, decision-making and forcing throws. Well, my counter to that would be when you're playing in the SEC West against LSU, Alabama, um, and you're undermanned against those teams and you're down on the scoreboard, you have to force some balls. You can't just sit back and, you know, take the easy throw. I like the fact that he's got some courage in his arm. So does he, does he force some stuff on tape? Yeah, but look at the scoreboard when he's forcing those things, you know. So right. um, I think that's a little bit of an unfair knock, um, really. So, I, again, you see Drew in a lot of adverse situations. You know, the guy goes on the road and beats a really good – thumps a really good Florida team um, and played a great game. So is there a little up and down? Yeah, but, again, he was in a new offense this year, too. So 
he's the only one of these guys that was playing in a new offense as a senior. And uh, and that's not easy to do. I mean, before your senior year and you're playing with a bunch of young skill, skill guys around you um, that I don't know, frankly, you know, how much they were on the same page, you know, with, with a bunch of young guys. So, um, again, you just you evaluate the whole thing. I, I think that people are being a little too hard on Drew and not, again, not evaluating the whole the whole situation around um, the quarterback in that case. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the thing you hear about Locke. And he was, like you said, playing in the SEC, which is pretty much considered by most people the best conference in the, in the nation, and doing so at sort of a talent disadvantage, right? And so you have yeah, to take these things into consideration. You know, absolutely. You can't – you have to for that position. And, again, to the SEC argument, no, I grew up in Michigan, so I – you know, I'm, I grew up in Big Ten country, so right. this isn't like a SEC homer thing for me. Um, it just is. It's the best conference in college football, and I don't think it's very close. Um, I don't know what the numbers were this year, but a couple years ago, um, the entire Big 12 conference had six defensive players invited to the combine. Six right. in, a, in, a, in one conference. That same year, Alabama had seven, LSU had six, and Florida had six. So when you talk about you know, what guys are doing in the SEC, offensive players, um, I mean, they're going against a bunch of NFL players week in and week out on the other side of the ball, whereas, you know, in the Big 12, I mean, six guys in a whole league, that's not even one defensive player per team. So um, yeah. there's a difference. you got to take that. You've got to take that stuff into account. Well, there's no better example of, of that point you're making than when you look at Quinn and Williams, right? I mean, this is a guy who's going to be a top-five pick in this draft, likely – and he was a backup last year. He really only has one year of production because he was sitting as a backup, as a redshirt freshman, being a guy who was already a mid-first-round pick, another first-round pick. So, right. So th- that's yep. that's no. the kind of guy that's there. So I wanted I wanted to ask you when you look at the top of the draft, is there which of the three guys in your opinion between Quinn and Williams, uh, Nick Bosa, or Josh Allen? maybe has the best shot of making it to the Giants at number six. I don't none. I, from what I've heard, I don't think I don't think any of I don't right. think any of them will. No, I think I think I think Quinn and Josh Allen are the two best players in the draft. Um I've been hearing that a I lot lately. Yeah, that like people like both those guys better than they like Nick Bosa. I've been hearing that from a bunch of people that work yeah. with teams around the league. Well, Jordan, that was a, the difficult thing for me this year. So, you know, when you get done with a draft, when you're working for a team, you go home and you immediately start working on the next year's players. So this was weird for me. You know, I didn't look at a lot of these. I didn't look at Quinn or Nick Bosa or some of these guys in the fall because they weren't eligible for the Senior Bowl. So I just I didn't right, have time right. to look at those guys then. I guess this ESPN, thing, this, this ESPN job, and I have to circle the wagons and start looking at all these juniors and, I'll just say there were some there's some guys at the top of this draft that when I looked at them, again usually you're you're the first person seeing them, so your opinion's not tainted and you know the narrative's not been set on the player. Right. I couldn't believe some of the guys we talked about at the top of this draft. Not that they're bad players, but like guys that are being talked about in the top ten, I just didn't see it. So again, you always want to I want to cross check myself. So I reached out to a bunch of friends in the league, and I, you know, on some of these guys, and I, am I seeing this right? Like, how is this guy being talked about in the you know top five or top ten? And there, and and it, the the nice thing was you, you get the feedback from your friends. Yeah, we kind of we see the same thing. Like we don't have them nearly as high as 
is the is the you know they're being talked about. So that made me feel good. But um, right. yeah, I just think that some of that some of that stuff's a little a little out of whack. And I've never when you work for a team, you block all that stuff out. You know, I mean, I, I've always respected the job that Mel and Todd and, and Daniel Jeremiah and those guys do. Um, but you you don't pay attention to it when you work for a team because you're trying to blow. That's just noise. You know, you're trying. Right. We're all human beings. Um, you know, consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously, some of that stuff can, can leak in. It's just like, um, you know, when you're at a school with 12 other scouts and you're sitting in a room watching tape together and, you know, a couple hours in, guys start, focus starts to wander and they start talking and, you know, you've got to block all that stuff out. You've got to go back to your hotel at night and write that report based off what, what you saw and what you felt, not what that room was starting. You know, the chatter in the room started to do. So, um, you know, again, there's. I don't think any of those guys is going to get to, to six, but, I mean, I certainly don't think Quinnen and, and Josh, Josh Allen would be there. Right. Well, that's the whole beauty of this whole process, right? It's all in the eye of the beholder. And, as long, and there could just be one person who like who likes this one guy more than everyone else, and and that's sort of what the discrepancy can be, right? I mean, you only need if if nope. like a Todd yeah. or a Mel like just happen to really like a player, maybe more than most teams, they're instantly perceived higher than than everybody else would probably have them. So, and and that that's the beauty of it. You don't really know, and people miss on guys all the time. Well, yeah, and, and again, um, another point I'll make is that. Uh, is that if you were, if you are a scout right now for the Giants and you're sitting in your draft room and you've got first round grades on all these guys from your area that are being mocked in the first round, you're going to be wrong. Because if you look at the draft, I mean, usually about, it's about roughly about 50% of the first round picks are, they range from, you know, some level of disappointment, you know, I mean, not to, 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 to total bust. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and that's the and first so, round. Now you don't, and you don't go out in the fall, you know, saying, okay, well, this, this guy's being talked about in the media and I'm going to go crush him. Like, it doesn't work that way. You just hope at the end of the fall, you, you, you know, see where the cards fall. You hope that you're not in line with all these mock drafts because if you are, you're going to be wrong. And, um, you know, so I've, I've talked about a couple of players the last couple of weeks and, you know, getting lit up by people. And I want to go back and, and say, yeah, would you be saying this, you know, four years from now when this guy doesn't pan out? I mean, there's, I use Vernon Golston as a, you know, if I was on, if I was on TV 10 years ago and saying Vernon Golston, I think was a first round player and he wasn't going to be a good player. You know, people on social media be lighting me up. Well, you're an idiot. You're an, right. you know, you're an idiot because it, it goes against what the popular narrative is on a player. And I'm just picking Vernon off the top of my head. I mean, there's a bunch of others too, but or Geno Smith for that. You know, guys like that. Yeah. Um, it, it just it's gonna. You can't be in lockstep with all these mock drafts, or you're just gonna be wrong. And again, I don't. It, it, the, I'll say this in terms of the media side of it. It's really hard to do that because there's so much that it, you know, it's the it's the character stuff that the media doesn't know about, you know, because mm-hmm. they're not at the schools and they can't they can't do all the digging. They don't have the resources to do that or the medical. The stuff. medical, yeah, um, yeah. That those those are the things that force players to slide. And and again, it's usually those first rounders that bust. It's not a talent issue. It's usually more about the person. Teams miss on the person a lot more than they miss on the player. Um, so again, in defense of the media guys, I mean, I'm not—they've got a really hard job doing those mock drafts because they're just—they're basing it off what they see and not 
they don't they're not privy to all the other information yeah for sure so we you we said let's say those three guys that we mentioned the the bosa Quinn and Williams and Josh Allen are off the board, right? And the Giants aren't going to go quarterback at six. Where would you go next, right? So, you know, a d- defensive player, let's say. So Ed Oliver, Montez Sweat, Rashawn Gary, uh, all the Clemson defensive linemen. Like, what? What the? Who's the next guy in your in your order? Well, I think if if I were to take the the next best football player. Um, I would go with one of the two linebackers. I'd go with Devin White Devin's. and Devin Bush. I think those. Two are, I think the Devins are two of the cleanest prospects in this year's draft. Um, I know front front. You know the defensive line is more of an immediate need for the Giants, right? Right. Say that. Yeah. No. I, the front because seven for sure. Line, the entire yeah, so, front so seven. I, yeah. I, 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 I would go in one of those directions because again, there, there's quite a fall off at inside linebacker after those two guys. There's a shelf. Whereas there's better depth throughout in the D line. I mean, I'm a I'm a really big Montez Sweat fan. Again, he's a double digit sack guy two years in a row in the SEC. Um, he had a good Senior Bowl game. He ran four four one. That's pretty ridiculous. He's really, he's got he's got the potential to be you know a difference maker. But what you know what you got to factor in there with Montez is that is you know he was diagnosed with that heart thing. So um, I don't know what level. That's scaring off teams, and I hope it's not for, for Montez's sake. But, uh, you know, in terms of tape, I really like Montez Sweat quite a bit. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, you know, all those guys you named, I think, will be, will be in that, will be, would be in that conversation. Um, but I would, I would, I would tend to go with those two linebackers just because of the depth of the draft. You could, you can get, like I said, you can get defensive line starters into the, you know, third round easily. So what I've taken from you so far is you talk about depth of the draft. You, the defensive line you say is loaded, right? You linebacker, in, yeah, interior linebacker. Expecting. Sorry, interior linebacker. You uh, say not so much. So what what do you consider the depth well, of the draft aside from that uh, defensive line spot? Well, what other positions you look at and say, okay, these are these are really good positions. There's a lot of players you can get good players in second, third round at. Yeah, the other the other two positions. I mean, first of all, I think overall this is a great draft. I mean, there is you're gonna you're gonna be able to get starter level players, legit starter level players into the fourth and fifth round in a lot of spots. This is one of the deepest tight end classes in a long time. Um, again, like the Jaguars needed a tight end really bad, but would I take T.J. Hawkinson or someone like that at seven, knowing that I can get a starter in the second or third round? I That'll be interesting to see how that all plays itself out. But tight ends very deep. The safety class is loaded. I was about to if say you that. need safeties, there's a bunch, there's a bunch of good safeties in this year's draft. It's a little thinner at corner. It's a little thin at running back. Um, the interior offensive line, really the whole offensive line, but um, guard center. It's a it's one of the best classes in a long time. I know just the last few years in Seattle looking up at that board on draft day at the offensive line stacks and there it's it was pitiful um they were just right. a really lean couple of years there and uh so this is a great year if you need offensive line help to uh to shore that up well you know dave gettleman will love that you're telling me offensive line and defensive line i mean that's that's right up his alley there with, when you're talking about dave gettleman and his hog molly uh philosophy well i'm t- jordan i agree with with dave that's where you build your football team it really is i mean it's all, all the uh, the wide receivers. I mean, there's quote unquote sexier positions out there that 
you know, fans get excited about. But when you're when you're building a football team, you got to build it with the big guys. You really yeah. do. So I don't, I don't disagree. I know, I know Dave's been taking a lot of heat um, in the media the last few months, but um, I totally agree with him there. You got to build with big people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more that they sort of shifted plans between last year and this year that has people sort of confused and all over the place and and down on him in general. Then the overall philosophy, I think more more often than not, when I talk to people about it, they seem to agree with the philosophy. Like, yeah, you need to build that way. This is the way you should build. It's just that they just flip flop so so much in the, in the span of a year that they're just kind of sort of scratching their head now. So I just before before you go here. Uh, do you you talk about the depth of the defensive line, right? Do you have any guys that you really like yep. that maybe in like that second or third round that you look at and say, I think those guys can be starters and contributors and really good players, even though they're not sort of looked at in, in maybe the top-tier guys that we've talked about so far? Yeah, I think there's some players, and I won't talk about the players I think they're better than, but there's a kid at uh, Western Illinois, Colin Saunders, who was in the Senior Bowl, uh-huh. um, kind of like a sawed-off, he's like a sawed-off, um, six foot, three hundred twenty pound guy. You've probably seen uh, Adam Schefter tweeted pictures of him out doing backflips and stuff around Senior Bowl time or around combine uh, yes. time, but, and all that all that went viral. He is a really, really good football player. Um, he's athletic. He's explosive. He's violent. He plays really hard. Um, I think he's going to be a really good player for somebody. Probably goes in the second round now. Huh. Um, he's probably got his way up to, to the second round. There's a guy, Anthony Nelson, that I don't hear anyone talking about from Iowa, who's a six foot seven uh, defensive end who had, I think, he had nine and a half sacks this year in the Big Ten. And he's, you know, he's only a junior. He came out early, kind of surprised some people, but he's got 23 sacks. I want to say over his three years, he's long. He ran really well. He's got uh, his testing numbers were off the charts. He was like a 35 inch vertical jump, a 703 three cone, which is that's like an offensive skill guy. He might have been like six nine something in the three cone. So he's a big, long bodied um, defensive lineman that can. He had a sack in the Senior Bowl game. You don't see many six seven guys bend the edge like he did, and you're just not hearing anything about him. I don't get it. Um, right. I think he's going to be a really good player. It's not like he's coming from nowhere. And, uh, he played in the Big Ten guy. in Iowa. Right. You know, and he was <laughs> we're talking about Nick Bosa all the time and this I mean, you put on Anthony Nelson tape and the first tape I put on was Penn State and I think he hit or distracted Trace McSorley on like seven of the first fifteen plays. I mean he's guys and he's and he's got a ton of upside because he's still young. So um like he's a guy and another name is maybe Carl Granderson from Wyoming, who uh was really the talk of senior bowl week among the teams. Like all all my friends in the league, like he, I didn't hear it a lot in the media, but Carl's really, he's long, he's twitchy, and he plays like his hair's on fire. So, um, you know, you put on the senior bowl game and he was just, you get tired watching him, how hard he plays. So he's another guy in that, you know, probably third round area that, uh, is going to come in and, and be a factor next year is, is, is at minimum as a pass rusher for somebody. Those are some names to watch from Jim Nagy. Still. Executive Director of the Senior Bowl and uh, and our own ESPN draft analyst, and you, you're doing a great job. You liking it so far? Is it how different is yeah, it than anything you've ever done? Yeah, it's very different. I mean, in the, when you work in the NFL, you can't even talk to the media, let alone you know, even on a phone interview, let alone um, get in front of a camera. So I'm I'm a little bit of a fish out of water, but it's been a, it's been a ton of fun. Everyone at ESPN's been great. Um, 
it, it's been a blast. I'm looking forward to the draft in Nashville. That'll be fun, too. Well, now that you're part of the media, you realize how many people from teams actually talk to people from the media. It does exist. It really does. <laughs> so Yeah, well, I, I, I don't think they consider I hope they don't consider me to me. I hope they just still consider me their friend, but... <laughs> but <laughs> Ah, uh, you're you're media now. Just own own up to it. You're media. Come on, for at least for a little bit. At least for a little bit. <laughs> Jim, that's what that's what Mike Mike Mayock's been giving me giving me a lot of grief about it. Calling me a media slappy now. So I'm, I guess uh, I guess I gotta own it. Yeah, well, you know, he he's uh, making that joke from experience, obviously, because he was on the other end of it not too long ago. So, Jim, that's we appreciate right. your that's time. Right. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Jordan. And hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. You got it. On to the next one. What better way to follow that up now with the favorite segment of this podcast? This is the opportunity for me to answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. This week we're going to do a five-pack from Twitter. And I'm going to start with Game Day 555 asks, what is your sense as to how the Giants have the top QBs ranked? Okay. Now I'm going to leave out Kyler Murray here because I really don't know. I really don't know where the Giants stand on Kyler Murray. It doesn't seem like they have any chance of, of drafting him. Everything seems to be leaning towards him going number one. But the realistic options for them, I see it as going Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, and then Dwayne Haskins. So to me, that seems to be the order. Now, I don't know this for sure. I'm taking bits and pieces and putting it together. And that's sort of my impression on where the Giants stand on the quarterback position. You just heard Jim say he liked Drew Locke the best, and you heard all the reasons. And you could see there's a lot of reasons to like Drew Locke. I mean, he has... All those physical skills. He has that athleticism. Uh, will the Giants pull the trigger and take him at six? I don't know. I don't, it doesn't seem to be leaning in that direction. Uh, it seems to me maybe where their, their rankings have the top quarterback somewhere right outside the 10, top 10 picks. So therefore, hey, they see if we can get that guy at 17, one of those guys, then we get value. So that's sort of how I see it right now. I'm not really sure. Will Greer also, I think, is up there and, and probably next on the list. Uh, and then maybe Jared Stidham is next, but uh, I don't, I don't see, uh, those two guys as being first round type guys on the Giants board, but we'll see. Uh, you never know. Uh, Dave Gettleman could be, uh, playing possum on this one and pull out a, a rabbit out of the hat, but I doubt it. And I think more likely than not that Drew Locke is atop that list and Daniel Jones right behind him. So, uh, and play off that at NY Giant Pride One asked, why am I reading a bunch of articles about Haskins falling on draft boards? Obviously, Rodgers and some other greats have dropped. What's the chances you think he's available at 17? Also, would the Giants pass on him twice and regret it years later? Now, I think we heard from Jim some of the reasons why he's falling on draft boards, right? He he hasn't faced a lot of pressure, and when he did, the rare times that he did at Ohio State, uh, there are people who think that the results weren't great, so they're not that high on him. Personally, and I said this before, I'm pretty high on him. 
I like Dwayne Haskins as a quarterback. I like everything about him. Uh, I like the way he handles himself. I like the way he approaches the game. Everything you hear about him off the field sort of checks out. I mean, that's huge. Though the anticipation stuff that you see from him, I think, is really good. So that to me is is some of the most important stuff. And I I think he he's pretty much the the complete package. And I would take him at six because I think this is sort of like a Deshaun Watson uh, Cleveland Browns scenario from a couple years ago where they're just nitpicking and they're going to miss and pass on on a guy who's really, really good. And you're sort of nitpicking him for me. And I heard what Jim said, and I've talked to people who don't like him either that much, that they don't think he's great, that there's too many questions, that they think he's almost a product of uh, the offense of Ohio State and that the coaching there, right, Ryan Day and his offense and and um, was just so good that, it makes him look good that these were easy throws. He's throwing to great players, playing with really good players around him. But I personally think that he's really darn good and the Giants are going to regret uh, passing on him. But only time will tell. We'll see how that goes. I, I can't. If they think someone else is better and are willing to invest in them, go for it. But I, I think the mistake here would be not settling on anybody and saying they're all not good enough again for the second straight year kind of deal. Whereas, like, if you're going to keep passing on all these guys, you are you really just looking for like that perfect guy, the Andrew Luck kind of Peyton Manning type prospect? Because those guys don't come around that often. You got to get out there. You don't have to make a huge financial investment in them anymore, like you did in the past. Like, you got to just take your shots. And I don't really care who it is for them. They just they got to take their shots at some point. So, all right. Next question: CLT underscore NY says. How are Giants going to pay for this year's draft picks with limited cap space? How does the ample cap space in 2020 affect this year's draft? Okay. Now I mentioned this before. All right. And this isn't, this isn't a knock on you, you know, at CLT underscore NY. This idea about their cap space being problematic and limited. Come on. Total bogus. You know, BS. Come on. They can make cap space. They first of all, they have cap space right now. They still have some cap space. It's not going to cost them $15 million to sign their draft picks. They have, it has, plays no factor whatsoever. They can create money anytime they want. Okay. Just for example, the Giants have Nate Soldier's contract. It's, uh, basically $13 million this year in base salary. Since they don't have any money on the books in the future, they can easily convert almost all of that into a roster bonus. And then, therefore, spread that money out over the final three years of his deal. First of all, he's not going anywhere. He's going to be on the roster next year and probably the year after that. Okay? Barring something happening to him, being an injury. And they could always just spread that money around, knock it off the salary cap. They could probably do the same with Kevin Zeitler, who they just invested in, too, and spread his money. He gets a $10 million base salary. So the the salary cap thing, don't even look at it. There's no indi- no, it's not a factor even the slightest when it comes to the draft. Okay, especially since they're healthy moving forward. And on top of that, is it's not as much as everybody thinks because yes, they have to pay for all these players, and if they get twelve players, that it's going to cost X amount. Let's say I don't the number is twelve million, but remember you're replacing then twelve players that they're that are already there. So really, you only need about. 8 million in cap space, even if you have 12 players. So it's nothing inhibitive. Don't worry about it. 
at bull four one four six one seven one two. That's a lot of numbers. What is a realistic amount of starters the Giants can get out of this year's draft? Here's the thing. It depends partially how many, like if you take a quarterback, what positions you take. Okay, quarterback, it's a lot harder to be a successful starter year one. Even if we're talking about pass rushers, edge rushers, these guys, it's a position where it usually takes guys time. If you draft an edge rusher at 37, their first round pick in the, the first pick of the second round, for him to be a starter is, or for him to be immediately successful is probably not realistic. So, I mean, you hope they have what three first uh, sorry two first round picks the 37th overall and then a third round pick which is basically the end of the third round which is almost the fourth round so out of those four picks if you get three starters i think that's pretty good now long term you you want at least three starters out of that group because let's be honest you're not going to hit all these players and even some of the guys from last year that were the early returns were positive you know they might take steps back we've been there Plenty of times in the past. Remember, people were optimistic after Eric Flowers' first season. Go read. Everybody thought Flowers had a good rookie year. Thought he could build off that. Turned out to be a disaster. So year two is a big year for some of these guys that you think are starters right now. The uh, B.J. Hills and Lorenzo Carters of the world. Let's see what they turn into. Jury's still out. I mean, the early returns on B.J. Hill, very good. Lorenzo Carter, okay, potential. Um so let, let's let's see where it goes from there. Kyle Oletta, not so much. Uh, last one for today. We got Greg Samples. Samps at NYG says, how many trades do you expect DG to make over the three days of the draft? I can't imagine they actually use all 12 picks. And like I mentioned earlier, some of those have to even be looking towards next year. So I would expect the Giants to make a good three or four trades. Either before, let's count it together, before and during the draft. Because move up a couple spots, 12 picks is a lot. Uh, you want to roll some of them over into next year and cre- still create future capital. And just remember, just because you have 12 picks doesn't mean you're going to just all of a sudden have all these good young players. The Jets had 12 picks a couple of years ago, and I believe it was a total disaster for Mike McCagnan. And I know people are like, well, G- Gettleman's good at the draft. Let's see. He's he's missed before. He's he did really well in the draft in regards to some of the players he drafted last year. But this is a imperfect process. Everybody whiffs. Okay, that's why it's good to have more picks, just so you can hit on more of them, more more so than not. Just so you could still, if you're only hitting on fifty percent, if you hit on fifty percent of twelve, it's a lot better than hitting on fifty percent of six. Right, So his draft percentage is not going to be significantly above the mean. His history doesn't show that to be the case. And nobody's history. I mean, there's very, very few. Even like, go look at the Seattle Seahawks, right? They hit and they drafted all these guys. They drafted pro bowlers and all pros and Richard Sherman and uh, Cam Chancellor and these guys in like the middle rounds and Russell Wilson. Those are, those are, that's, a, those are anomalies. It's not like they've gone and hit all pros in the middle rounds every year since that that's the that's the rarity now you want to do it and you want to get lucky and do it at the right time and and they did and they get all the credit for that but everyone's going to miss and Dave Gettleman is also going to miss on some of these 12 picks too you could pretty much bank on that 
So that's it for Giants After Dark, and that's also it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. We have one more before the draft next Thursday, one week before the draft. I'll have my final most likely player the Giants are to draft. I'll do pick number 6 and 17. It's going to be tough. 17 is pretty tough. There's so many variables, so many different ways that the draft can go by then. But feel free in the meantime, send me questions via Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, email, however you want to reach out to me. I'll do my best to answer them over the next couple weeks. I'll try and uh, do a video on Twitter, uh, on Twitter at some point. Uh, I'll do a live one night uh, in the next week or so, week even in the few days leading up to the draft as well. And make sure you go on the ESPN app, Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And download, listen to Breaking Big Blue with Jordan Ronan. Give us some good grades. Give us some some good ratings. We need your help. Support this podcast. We need to build it. We need to grow it. It needs to get bigger and better. And that's it for this week. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. See you next time.